preface and excerpt from the letters of charles dickens eighteen thirty three to eighteen thirty seven this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org recording by christine g charles dickens two hundredth anniversary collection volume three the letters of charles dickens by charles dickens edited by Mammy Dickens and Georgia Hogarth. Preface We intend these collections of letters to be a supplement to The Life of Charles Dickens by John Forster. That work, perfect and exhaustive as a biography, is only incomplete as regards correspondence, the scheme of the book having made it impossible to include in its space and letters, or hardly any, besides those addressed to Mr. Forster. As no man ever expressed himself better in his letters than Charles Dickens, we believe that in publishing this carefully selected from his general correspondence, we shall be supplying a want which has been universally felt. Our request for the loan of letters was so promptly and fully responded to that we have been provided with more than sufficient material for our work. By arranging the letters in chronological order, we find that they very frequently explain themselves and form a narrative of the events of each year. Our collection dates from 1833, the commencement of Charles Dickens' literary life, just before the starting of the Pickwick Papers, and is carried on up to the day before his death in 1870. We find some difficulty in being quite accurate in the arrangements of letters up to the end of 1839, for he had a careless habit in those days about dating his letters, very frequently putting only the day of the week on which he wrote, curiously in contrast with the habit of his later life, when his dates were almost of the very fullest. A blank is made in Charles Dickens' correspondence with his family by the absence of any letter addressed to his daughter Kate, Mrs. Perugini, to her great regret and to ours. In 1873, her furniture and other possessions were stored in the warehouse at the Pantechnicon at the time of the great fire there. All her property was destroyed, and, among other things, a box of papers which included her letters from her father. It was our intention, as well as our desire to have thanked, individually, everyone, both living friends and representatives of dead ones, for their readiness to give us every possible help to make our work complete but the number of such friends, besides correspondence hitherto unknown, who have volunteered contributions of letters, make it impossible in our space to do otherwise than to express, collectively, our earnest and heartfelt thanks. A separate word of gratitude, however, must be given by us to Mr. Wilkie Collins, for the invaluable help which we have received from his great knowledge and experience in the technical part of our work and for the deep interest which he has shown from the beginning in our undertaking. It is a great pleasure to us to have the name of Henry Fielding Dickens associated with this book. To him, for the very important assistance he has given in making our index, we return our loving thanks. In writing our explanatory notes we have, we hope, left nothing out which in any way requires explanation from us. But we have purposely made them as short as possible, our great desire being to give to the public another book from Charles Dickens' own hands, as it were, a portrait of himself by himself. 
those letters which need no explanation, and of those we have many, we give without a word from us. In publishing the more private letters, we do so with a view of showing him in his homely domestic life, of showing how in the midst of his own constant and arduous work, no household matter was considered too trivial to claim his care and attention. He would take as much pains about the hanging of a picture, the choosing of furniture, the superintending any little improvement in the house, as he would about the more serious business of his life, thus carrying out to the very letter his favourite motto of what is worth doing at all is worth doing well. Mamie Dickens, Georgina Hogarth, London, October 1879 1833 or 1834 and 1835-1836 Narrative We have been able to procure so few early letters of any general interest that we put these first years together. Charles Dickens was then living, as a bachelor, in Furnival's Inn, and was engaged as a parliamentary reporter on the Morning Chronicle. The sketches by Boz were written during these years, published first in the monthly magazine, and continued in the Evening Chronicle. He was engaged to be married to Catherine Hogarth in 1835. The marriage took place on the 2nd of April, 1836, and he continued to live in Furnival's Inn with his wife for more than a year after their marriage. They passed the summer months of that year in a lodging at Chalk, near Gravesend, in the neighbourhood associated with all his life, from his childhood to his death. The two letters which we publish, addressed to his wife as Miss Hogarth, have no date, but were written in 1835. The first of the two refers to the offer made to him by Chapman and Hall to edit a monthly periodical, the emolument, which he calls too tempting to resist, to be fourteen pounds a month. The bargain was concluded, and this was the starting of the Pickwick Papers. The first number was published in March 1836. The second letter to Miss Hogan was written after he had completed three numbers of Pickwick, and the character who is to make a decided hit is Jingle. The first letter of this book is addressed to Henry Austin, a friend from his boyhood, who afterwards married his second sister Letitia. It bears no date, but must have been written in 1833 or 1834, during the early years of his reporting for the Morning Chronicle, the journey on which he was ordered being for that paper. Mr. Henry Austin, Furnival's Inn, Wednesday night, past twelve. Dear Henry, I have just been ordered on a journey, the length of which is at present uncertain. I may be back on Sunday, very probably, and start again on the following day. Should this be the case, you shall hear from me before. Don't laugh. I am going, alone, in a gig, and, to quote the eloquent inducement which the proprietors of Hampstead Chase hold out to Sunday riders, the gentleman drives himself, I am going to Essex and Suffolk. It strikes me I shall be split before I pay a turnpike. I have a presentiment I shall run over an only child before I reach Chelmsford, my first stage. Let the evident haste of this specimen of the polite letter-writer be its excuse, and, believe me, dear Henry, most sincerely yours. Note. 
to avoid the monotony of a constant repetition we propose to dispense with the signature at the close of each letter excepting to the first of and last letters of our collection charles dickens handwriting altered so much during these years of his life that we have thought it advisable to give a facsimile of his autograph to this our first letter and we reproduce in the same way his latest autograph miss hogarth furnival's inn wednesday evening eighteen thirty five my dearest kate the house is up but i am very sorry to say that i must stay at home i have had a visit from the publishers this morning and the story cannot be any longer delayed it must be done to-morrow as there are more important considerations than the mere payment for the story involved too i must exercise a little self-denial and set to work they chapman and hall have made me an offer of fourteen pounds a month to write and edit a new publication they contemplate entirely by myself to be published monthly and each number to contain four woodcuts i am to take my estimate and calculation and to give them a decisive answer on friday morning the work will be no joke but the emolument is too tempting to resist miss hogarth sunday evening i have at this moment got pickwick and his friends on the rochester coach and they are going on swimmingly in company with a very different character from any i have yet described who i flatter myself will make a decided hit i want to get them from the ball to the inn before i go to bed and i think that will make me until one or two o'clock at the earliest the publishers will be here in the morning so you will readily suppose i have no alternative but to stick at my desk eighteen thirty seven narrative from the commencement of the pickwick papers and of charles dickens married life dates the commencement of his literary life and his sudden world-wide fame and this year saw the beginning of many of those friendships which he most valued and of which he had most reason to be proud and which friendships were ended only by death the first letter which we have been able to procure to mr macready and mr harley will be found under this date in january eighteen thirty seven he was living in furnival's inn where his first child a son was born it was an eventful year to him in many ways he removed from furnival's inn to doughty street in march and here he sustained the first great grief of his life his young sister-in-law mary hogarth to whom he was devotedly attached died very suddenly at his house on the seventh of may in the autumn of this year he took lodgings at broadstairs this was his first visit to that pleasant little watering-place of which he became very fond and whither he removed for the autumn months with all his household for many years in succession besides the monthly numbers of pickwick which were going on through this year until november when the last number appeared he had commenced oliver twist which was appearing also monthly in the magazine called bentley's miscellany long before pickwick was completed and during this year he had edited for mr bentley the life of grimaldi the celebrated clown to this book he wrote himself only the preface and altered and rearranged the autobiographical ms which was in mr bentley's possession the letter to mr harley which bears no date but must have been written either in eighteen thirty six or eighteen thirty seven refers to a farce called the strange gentleman founded on one of the sketches called the great wingleberry duel
which he wrote expressly for Mr. Harley, and which was produced at the St. James Theatre, under the management of Mr. Braham. The only other piece which he wrote for that theatre was the story of an operetta, called The Village Coquettes, the music of which was composed by Mr. John Huller. Mr. J. P. Harley 48 Doughty Street, Saturday morning My dear sir, I have considered the terms on which I could afford just now to sell Mr. Braham the acting copyright in London of an entirely new piece for the St. James Theatre, and I could not sit down to write one in a single act of about one hour long, under a hundred pounds. For a new piece in two acts, a hundred and fifty pounds would be the sum I should require. I do not know whether, with reference to arrangement that were made with any other writers, this may or may not appear a large item. I state it merely with regard to the value of my own time and writings at this moment, and in so doing I assure you I place the remuneration below the mark rather than above it. As you begged me to give you my reply upon this point, perhaps you will lay it before Mr. Braham. If these terms exceed his inclination or the ability of the theatre, there is an end of the matter and no harm done. Believe me ever faithfully yours. Mr. W. C. Macready, 48 Doughty Street, Wednesday evening. My dear sir, there is a semi-business, semi-pleasure little dinner which I intend to give at the Prince of Wales, in Leicester Place, Leicester Square, on Saturday, at five for half-past precisely, at which only Talford, Forster, Ainsworth, Jordan, and the publishers will be present. It is to celebrate, that is too great a word, but I can think of no better, the conclusion of my Pickwick labours, and so I intend, before you take that roll upon the grass you spoke of, to beg your acceptance of one of the first complete copies of the work. I shall be much delighted if you would join us. I know too well the many anxieties that press upon you just now to seek to persuade you to come if you would prefer a night's repose and quiet. Let me assure you, notwithstanding, most honestly and heartily, that there is no one I should be more happy or gratified to see, and that among your brilliant circle of well-wishers and admirers you number none more unaffectedly and faithfully yours than, my dear sir, yours most truly. End of the Letters of Charles Dickens 1833 to 1837. Recording by Christine G. in Oslo, Norway. 12th of February, 2012.